0: From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter. Hear from ordinary people from all walks of life who have transformed their communities by performing extraordinary work.
1: Hello everybody welcome to the 50th episode of stories of service ordinary people who do extraordinary work and i am the host of stories of service Teresa carpenter and today we have another amazing guest we always have amazing guests but i want to before i do this podcast i want to make sure that i let everybody know that this podcast is going to be delving into a very serious topic which is uh childhood sexual assault and childhood abuse and i know that many of the people who watch my show have had adverse childhood experiences and i want to give everybody an opportunity if this is a subject that is disturbing to some of the viewers um please uh you know you may want to wait to watch this or you may decide that this is one of the ones that you may not be ready to watch and i want to respect that and respect your boundaries when it comes to that But I also feel this is an incredibly important issue because what I find with trauma, no matter what the trauma is, whether that's workplace bullying or it's something that happened in your childhood, these issues will continue to come up over and over and over again unless you take the opportunity to process that with somebody that you trust. So with that, um, I'm going to introduce Gloria Masters and I'm going to read her bio and then we're going to delve into her childhood. We're going to talk about her book that um, I have read on Angel's Wings. And we're going to get into how you can come out of those dark places and actually start to heal and have your voice heard for others to also heal. So Gloria Masters is a survivor, author, and advocate for childhood sexual abuse survivors. She speaks from 16 years of lived experience in and has managed to turn the final corner of healing into giving back. She does this by highlighting the issue of childhood sexual abuse to help others. She is just about to publish her second book, Flight Path to Healing, which is a guide for survivors. She provides untold resources on GloriaMasters.com and runs the YouTube channel Handing the Shame Back, also available on major podcast outlets. Her focus is on hope, love, and joy, and she follows her angels wherever they lead her. And... I want to give also a brief background on the book that I read, and I'm just going to do a scene setter, which she put on her website. It's June 1960, and in middle-class suburban New Zealand, a child was born into sex slavery. For the first 16 years of her life, Gloria suffered horrendous sexual, physical, and psychological abuse at the hands of her father with no one to protect her. From the underworld of her father's pedophile ring to the groups he trafficked her to, she found an inner strength and a light that shone that shined so brightly that her mind was the only thing that could not be destroyed Experience through the eyes of a child on angels wings will forever highlight the way we deal with childhood abuse, shining a light on this darkness and challenging us not to assume that every child is safe. One voice speaking out is all it takes to save a life. Welcome Gloria.
0: Thank you. Beautiful introduction.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, First off, I just want to start off with, um, you obviously have an accent to a lot of my American uh, viewers, <laughs> <laughs> so let's just start with where are you from and, and where you were born and a little bit about uh, that area.
0: So, Kiora ora te Welcome, family. Um, I'm from New Zealand, uh, born and bred, and uh, we are a small, <laughs> a small country, just over 5 million people in, um, in the South Pacific. So it's my pleasure to be here. I was born and raised in Auckland, New Zealand and have lived there. Ever since.
1: Okay. And tell me a little bit, uh, just let's, let's just start off with, um, with your childhood and sort of where things went the way that they did, like how did how did all the things that you wrote about in the book and the message that you share, how did all that uh, start?
0: So I was born into a family um, that, that were child sex traffickers. I was born as a child sex slave and trained from a very young age. My grandmother, my father's mother, and one of his sisters were, commissioned to teach me the art of seduction, uh, to learn how to cavort and use my body and and my um, personality to attract and seduce men. So I um, began the serious trafficking at the age of six out of my grandmother's front parlour, and and through um, the Freemason groups that my father procured children for. Your father uh, was
1: a welder, right? And then your mother plumber. 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 I'm sorry, not a welder. Mm, and yeah. um, your your mom and your dad they divorced as well. But did this start? This started even before the divorce happened, correct?
0: Oh, right from when I was born, really. The first. Uh, Rape and apologies audience but I'm just being honest Mm -hmm. was uh, the age of four and a half but um, the trafficking began in earnest and my father earned a great deal of money out of me Um, I was initially leased out to uh, extended family and then he got me involved in the gangs he would Leased Me Too for their weekends and that Freemasons group um, who had satellites all across New Zealand and, um, yeah, particular events were quite challenging. Uh, They're, uh, in my opinion, the biggest global pedophile ring in the world. Uh, So, yeah, continuing today.
1: Wow. So when you would, and you would, kind of go back and forth uh, once your parents got divorced and i think what was really touched me about your story was that you had your your father's side here where all this horrible stuff was going on but then you didn't get any respite when you got to go back to your mom and to your um i want to say your sisters were still staying with your mom and your brother was with your father and either either place that you were at you really didn't have a safe home did you
0: well, I think we neglect and abandonment and find a home abuse is to be found, to be fair. Um, so in my father's case, I was fit for purpose. Where at the age of 11, they decided to separate and in their typical self-absorbed or narcissistic fashion, lined us up and we had to choose which parent to be with. Mm-hmm. Um so my father bribed me and said if I stayed he would buy buy me a horse. Well that didn't happen. Um but for the eighteen months I was left in his care with my brother, um, was the single most horrendous time in my life. I'm very lucky to be alive, Teresa. More. And More. I can't I can't overstate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my mother was a classic narcissist. Um, it was all about her. Dot com. I was just a nuisance, really. And when I would go back at the every second weekend, she really couldn't be bothered, and I was just in the way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm.
1: So, as you were growing up and in this environment, this is something that obviously became normal to you. Like this was not out of the ordinary, so you weren't going to go and tell anybody what was going on.
0: Well, I yeah, I think what what needs to be kept in mind is, um, and for your beautiful audience out there, there will be survivors listening. So hello to you, <laughs> uh, welcome. the um, The thing is, we condition to shut up. Now, whether that's through threats, um, not just. I will be killed but my sisters would be or my mother or the family pet would be um, or whether it's coercion as in I only do this because I love you, what, whatever it is that that survivors get told, mine was definitely more the violent end in the life of people that mattered to me. So mm-hmm. I wasn't going to speak because I could see what that man was capable of doing, Teresa, and in fact it proved to me countless times how dangerous and frightening he was
1: oh yeah the stories that you share in the book and and the ability to go to the depths of depravity uh that that he was capable of inflicting upon you uh is just unspeakable and it's something that like i said I've, i've never heard described in the way that that you described it and i think that it gives survivors hope when they see that you've been able to be where you are today to where you can at least put a voice to the to this kind of suffering Mm -hmm. and i'm curious as you were moving through this day to day what kept your hope alive
0: look it was it was varying things sometimes i didn't have any hope and they were the times when I tried to end my own life as a child, which seems really unusual, but it's true. Um, so hope, things that kept me going. I had my little angels around me. Um, so I guess one thing for, for people to understand is I didn't have one adult I could go to because... Back in those days, in the 60s and 70s, your parents were God and what they said went. So even had I taken the risk and spoken to another adult, the reality was that they would believe my parents over me. Now, okay. hopefully times have changed, Teresa In. It's, it wouldn't be quite that black and white now, but back then it certainly was. So what gave me hope were my angels um, at times. I also found I had, um, I loved netball, and that was introduced to me when I was um, 10 and a half. Um, so I loved that, and yeah.
1: You had a girlfriend. Not much right? out. I think I read that you had some girlfriends and you tried to invite some girlfriends over and then the, your father basically.
0: That that had to end as you saw. Yeah. yeah.
1: But, and then at some point it was like, you had to basically distance yourself from your friends because you knew like they could never come over to see you. You would always have to go over to see them because of the situation that you were in. Yeah what age were you when you finally got out of this environment and were able to not be in it uh, it, with your father, especially day to day?
0: So two pivotal points. So, um, if, if you want me to tell the story of how I finally escaped at 12 and a half, I'm happy to the, um, I was destined to stay with my father until I was 16 years of age. And um, I came home from school at 12 and a half early and I heard laughter and my father had a woman in his bedroom. And appalling as it sounds, that had become my role. I'd been his sex slave, his mistress, the sex toy in his life. So to find a woman in his bedroom and in his bed threw me and I just ran out of the house and up to my mother's, which was quite some distance away for a child to run. And for the first time she was shocked and I was distraught and she was shocked and asked me what had happened. So I told her, and she rang the Catholic priest and the archbishop who she knew of Auckland. And they said the most magical words I'd ever heard, get her out of that house. It's not safe for her to be there living with an adulterer. It's
1: that's just so ridiculous.
0: Breathe that in, Teresa.
1: Yeah, that's just absolutely insane. But that's sadly uh, what religion not all religions and 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 certainly but um unfortunately that's sometimes what the catalyst is because we 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 can talk about adultery it's not as it's not as um it's not as horrible as as what you went through and so it's something that can be reported and so you had this opportunity or this window to escape uh, so here. yeah,
0: and I did, and and thank you, and I did. I guess the point is, it was okay to rape, sodomize, sell, <laughs> torture, Great. um, your child, beautiful youngest child. But however, what happened then, though, I was so relieved. Um, but there was a twist to the tale because my mother really didn't want me, as we know. Um, mm-hmm. She did it because the church told her to, but she then informed me that I would have to go back every second weekend, and that was actually harder. So until I was 16 years old, from the age of 12 and a half to 16, I had to go and stay with my father every second weekend and school holidays. That almost destroyed me, because for 12 out of 14 days I was safe,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um I was ignored, sure. but I was I was safe. Right. So I could sleep, I could breathe, I could function. But then I had to find the courage and the enormous amount of resolute determination to go to my father's home to be trafficked, leased out of nightclubs, um, you know, star and child pornography, there's over a hundred movies of me out there somewhere, and, um, yeah, be the best child prostitute I could be. I know people struggle with that term, but I don't know what else to call it. Right. And then turn around on the Sunday night and be the good Catholic girl my mother required, so, yeah.
1: It's just insane. I, I Honestly, I've just, like, never heard of a story i mean of course you you hear about these kinds of things in movies and and things like that but it's a different thing to be sitting here with you and having this discussion and it's a testament to your strength that now that you can talk about it and one of the things as i was talking to my girlfriends last night about having this conversation that they you know both of them have had you know some sort of trauma of varying degrees like i have And one of the things that they really wanted me to ask you was when did you come to a point where you realized that this wasn't normal and that what was happening to you was wrong? How did that, how did you
0: know that this wasn't
1: what other families dealt with?
0: Because when, I guess, at what point from probably the age of eight. I would be go to other people's houses and see Mm -hmm. how they lived right? Mm -hmm. and I realised I had to be complicit in the abuse continuing um, by never speaking about our family and what went on and I felt Mm -hmm. such shame and this is common to survivors as well, I felt such shame because I was so neglected and abused but I knew it wasn't normal, except that I thought other dads would be like that as well. So it was somewhat of a shock to realise they weren't. They were Mm. just lovely to their children. I used to watch in fascination (laughs) at how normal families and normal dads would speak to their children. I was almost in shock because it just didn't happen. To be honest, Teresa... I didn't have a childhood. You didn't. Uh, No, I didn't. I, I actually feel I'm more of a child now at sixty-two, and my kids will tell you that. <laughs> Grow up, Mum. No. Um. But oh, I'm determined to live life and and be the light, carry the light for those that can, not but also have as much fun and enjoyment as I can because that was robbed. It was taken from me. It was. Yeah. So did that answer your question? It, it did, sure. it did, it yeah. did.
1: I'm just I'm trying to think like how you transitioned from knowing this isn't normal to all right, I'm gonna I'm starting to transition into adulthood and now I've gotta be an adult and live in the world and learn how to have healthy adult relationships. How how did that go for you when
0: Complete book- disaster. hundred <laughs> percent.
1: No, the, but my
0: second book does. Uh, I am okay. I'm just about to publish my guide okay. for other survivors actually. And yeah, it's a like, like, flight path you- to healing. How did that happen? Well, in order to cope with this, because remember I had this duality of focus. Uh-huh. On the one hand, I had to be the pristine, good Catholic girl for my mother
1: mm-hmm. and
0: her serve her needs as a complex narcissist. For my father as a psychopath, I had to be the willing sex slave who could make him a lot of money. So can you imagine that there was such a lack of integration psychologically for me, and so I developed what we call um, a false self. Now, that false self smiled through everything, laughed through everything. I was intelligent enough that I could convince people or win people over yep. so what you saw was this mask in front of me it wasn't me mm. and yeah. for survivors yeah. what we do is we maladapt to cope if that makes sense it so does. For, for some of us it's alcohol for some of us it's drugs for some of us it's eating or sex. for some it Yeah, or whatever addiction. Mm -hmm. And for people like me, it became this false self. So I very closely identified through adolescence, young adulthood, and even into my 40s, through decades of therapy, I finally was able to remove the mask, and here I am. But I couldn't be me, because if you think about it, There was no permission from either parent to be me because who I was was never valued or accepted by either. Right. And so the false self was the me that the world saw. And I also do, as children do, developed a role within a family and I became the carer because I quickly learned if I could, for instance, at my mother's offer to do something for her, which narcissists love do you want a cup of tea, Mum? Well, then she might notice me because, to be honest, I wasn't noticed or given any Mm -hmm. attention anyway. So that gave me, that was part of my survival, actually. I was desperate for, please see me, please notice me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: As you can appreciate, this is what children need. We need to feel some sort of validation somehow. And with my father, I learned to be, sickening and disgusting as it is, um, I learned to be more alluring and and preempt what he wanted um, Mm -hmm. so that he would also be kinder and perhaps not beat me up or torture me quite so badly.
1: Yeah, those Mm. are all survival mechanisms for children because it's it's the way that you can continue day to day to just live in the... But then, when you get to be an adult and you start to try to interact with people and have those relationships, you realize that like those those behaviors that you've you've attained over all those years, they don't serve you well in those adult relationships. Uh, because I don't know if this has happened to you, but did you find yourself repeating some of those same, maybe not the same exact dynamic, but some of those same patterns? Uh, yeah. In your early adult life,
0: oh look, a hundred percent. I, you know, we all have a template. I'm I'm really doing a big psychological hack here. We all have a template that we carry with us. Our self-esteem is set at the age of eight, and our template reflects what we're used to. So my template is ignore me, abuse me, treat me as badly as you can, I'll still be there, I'll still be wonderful to you, I'll still advocate for you, and your needs will always uh, superimpose mine. Mm -hmm. So it's no surprise that people I attracted into my life reflected that. So although I'd like to say my ex-husbands were at fault, I couldn't have attracted healthy relationships to me. Now I can. Mm-hmm. So if you know any gorgeous, fabulous <laughs> men out there. <laughs>
1: well, I'll uh, tell you, I, I just finally met met mine four years ago. So Wow, um, there and you go.
0: I'm,
1: <laughs> but it's so forty-five,
0: yes. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. And that's beautiful. But look, the point is this. Um it all makes sense looking back, but at the time I was just a wreck. It's taken decades. The yeah. person you see before you, um as a culmination of years and years of hard work. Yeah.
1: And and I think that what you give people, Gloria, is that hope is possible. And yes, sometimes that's, that is what it takes for survivors. And that's what it takes for people that have been through massive trauma. And one of the things that, you know, my, one of my biggest audiences is on LinkedIn and it's a very professional work type focused audience. And one of the things that, um, I don't think it's talked about enough, especially in my circles, which is military is, mm. is the idea that this childhood mm. trauma that I feel very many people have to varying degrees. And they bring that into the workplace and it manifests itself as bullying, as just this hyper aggressive competitiveness. Some of these other uh issues. I mean, I, I dealt with it overseas with, you know, just not being able to really connect with anyone and just feeling very lonely and isolated. Um, because we just truly don't have a lot of women leaders and I'm now at a very senior level and it's very hard, um, to, to find people that I can have healthy connections with. And I think that if we don't get to the root of what this stuff comes from and where it comes from and then start to do different things or or start to act differently with people and set boundaries, then I don't think the behavior changes. I I mean, I don't think that the relationship changes. I think that you continue to attract these same people in your life.
0: Look, I think so too. And I think you and I've just connected on LinkedIn recently. I'm out there speaking very publicly videos about this, ways to support survivors. Why? Because exactly what you've said, this is in the workplace. If we work on the theory and police in New Zealand report, one report they have is up to one in three adult adults, male and female, have experienced some form of child sexual abuse, right? Some form percent Wow. Right. Okay. So, mm-hmm. of course, it's in our workplaces. So the thing is, people like me are trying to take the lid off gently, but mm-hmm. clearly, Hey, this is how you treat survivors. Here's mm-hmm. a tip. Or step forward if you need help. Or, you know, we need to normalize these conversations. And I think, Teresa, if we can start doing that and stop separating out um and compartmentalizing people. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Oh my gosh, Gloria, you hit the nail on the head.
0: Like I feel like even mm. in
1: the military circles, we're so yeah. focused on PTSD and wartime trauma and i i think it's so much deeper than that yeah. i think that people respond to these horrible things that happen in on the battlefield but they respond to them based on like the tools that they've been given growing up and we don't all come from the same place and and that was like i said in the my intro that was what inspired me to well i said it in the in the show notes that's what inspired me to start this podcast was because I really felt that the path through healing is to go back into what has happened in your past and to come up with ways to act and treat others differently based on the things that has happened to you. And I think the thing that I'd love to know now is um, what has, when did you decide to start talking publicly and how did your family react when you decided to start doing that?
0: Okay, so is it okay if I just clarify a couple of points that you've raised because raised, it's so important? Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, you mentioned feeling different. Can I say one of the most significant hallmarks of child sexual abuse for our survivors is feeling different? And when you think about it, that's that sense of isolation as well because what's happening to us as children... Is not normal, and it shouldn't be seen as normal. So, how can we feel part of something or belong to something when our most crucial defining moments through childhood are about keeping us separate, keeping a secret, keeping us silence and shame, then ensuring we never speak? So that's the first point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. The, the second is there's a little myth mm. out there, and I think you'll like this, and survivors will too. The the myth is that 70% of PTSD sufferers are war vets or Vietnam vets. Wrong. Over 70% of PTSD sufferers are people who have experienced childhood trauma, specifically child sexual abuse. But wait, there's more. The difference being we are not trained for this. We are not given a medal for this. We are not put on a platform. We are not applauded. We are not encouraged
1: to step forward.
0: I want you to absorb that. And I hope your followers do too.
1: I hope they do. Because I will tell you that everything I see on LinkedIn is, you know, wounded. Not to say, and, and it's not to take anything away from the people who have experienced Horrible things on the battlefield. But I think that for the majority of us in the military, it wasn't a battlefield trauma scar that is what is plaguing the military. It's not something that happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. It is something that has happened in our upbringing and in the ways in which we dealt with stress and the ways in which we weren't trained to be resilient and the ways in which people interacted with us at a young age.
0: Yeah. So look, but can you not see the di- the huge difference here is war vets are allowed to have triggers, flashbacks, yes. repressed memories.
1: Oh yes, it's it's and very aren't normalized. they
0: amazing? And thank you oh, for yes. your service.
1: And they get people benefits like and me else.
0: shut up. Shut yeah. up and shut down. Well, so that's why voices are not heard across the world.
1: Well, I can tell you, Gloria, if I had done this podcast about mm. wounded vets and I had had a PTSD Afghanistan or Iraq person, I would have had a million more impressions. I would have had more shares and more likes. But because I decided to do it about childhood sexual trauma, everyone's like, ooh, ooh, trigger warning, ooh. People are so afraid. And and then that tells me I'm onto something. That tells me that there's something to this that nobody wants to handle. And the reason being is because it is going to rip off the bandaid with people. It is going to force them to (laughs) confront relationships that maybe they don't want to have to have to have a conversation with. And and I get it. And, but if you don't acknowledge where it comes from and what the root issues are, what will happen is you will keep piling on, Other stressors in your life, and other stressors will just re-trigger and re and and just basically tear off that scab, and you'll just kind of continue to have this open wound. And it happens to me all the time. I, I can tell you exactly when something has happened, and I'll go, Oh shit, that just triggered something from my childhood. All right, that's something I still need to work through, and I still got some work to do in that area. And so that's why I think these conversations are so important, Gloria. And that's why I'm so glad that you took the opportunity to come on the show and have this conversation because it's something people need to hear.
0: I look, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the vulnerability because, uh, you know, unless we start to get real and expose our underbelly, uh, people don't feel permission to do so. And um, the reality is I'm no less of a person because of the horror I endured, and no one will think that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But for survivors in our minds, we do. Why? Because it begins in silence. The secrecy is then ensured, and as adults, the shame shame always takes the gold. We shut down, we stop speaking, we stop trying to speak because of the shame. And um, I think that's really important. So one question that you had asked me about this was, when did I start talking? I first brought this to my family's attention in my 30s when the memories started coming through a million miles an hour. I was made to feel bad, wrong, shunned, disbelieved, a liar, evil, deluded, the black sheep, different and shut up. Over the course of uh, 25, 30 years, I tried many times to um, reconnect with my mother because no one wants to lose a mother. But in the end, it finally hit me that I was never going to be accepted. She She wanted me, happy to have a relationship with me. If I shut off that part of myself, that was the truth. And to be honest, guys, I couldn't keep doing it. I couldn't keep... In the end, I had to choose me, but it was painful and sad, and that freed me then to begin to write the book, which is what you read, and to expose this truth. Um, but to this day, I don't have a relationship. I wish her well, but sure. I can't. I cannot be in a relationship with people who see me as all the 10 things I just listed. And FYI, for our beautiful survivors who may be listening but may not have found the courage as yet to share, um, those labels are well known to you as well. Oh, (laughs) they yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. I guess. So, yeah, not a good reaction, Gloria, shut up, shut down. Mm -hmm. You've always been the troublemaker, you know, call it what you will, but I'm proud of who I am. And I found the courage.
1: Absolutely. And you have to do what is right for you and speak your truth. And I think that the good that you're doing by giving these issues a voice and a face is so powerful. I mean, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability, but she doesn't, talk about her past or her mom and dad or her brothers or her upbringing and and it's like you know and maybe she had this wonderful upbringing i'm not putting her down in any way shape or form no but i think that like this is like a varsity level of vulnerability and sharing that you have to be ready for and not everybody is comfortable not only listening to a conversation about this, but 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 even, you know, higher level and, and you know, sharing. But I think that-
0: So just like on Brene Brown, because I just want to say, I've tried several times to reach out. I've asked <laughs> to be on her show. No interest. <laughs> oh God. So- and Yeah,
1: and it's unfortunate because I almost think that, and again, I do really? not want to- I'm not criticizing people. <laughs> no. no, no. Brene Brown fans. I know there's a yeah. lot of people that love her but I almost feel like it's sort of this demonstrative vulnerability that I see out there on social media. And it's not Brene Brown, because she might be this amazing person. And believe me, the fact that she even put the word vulnerability on YouTube is like amazing. And finally, we have people that are willing to have this conversation. But for me, like I get told all the time, oh, you're so vulnerable. You're so real. And I'm like, I don't even really talk about my upbringing or my past, but because we are so conditioned to talk about things that are not very real or very deep on a day-to-day level so that we can just get by and get things done and get through the day, it, it, it seems like what I do is so vulnerable. And I think that that's a testament to the fact that it is so hard to show people who you are. And like you said, you grew up in an environment where showing people who you were was not accepted. And you had to go a lot of years to take that mask off and to show people who you were. And then once you did through that therapy, you are now taking that message forward to help others, and I applaud you for doing so.
0: Oh, thanks, Teresa. And look, um, just one thing, just to be clear, because I'd love to go on Brene's show because I'm the real deal in terms of vulnerability and shame, just saying. She may not be the person that this application's even get to. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say that. She may not have even seen it. But look, in in terms of, of this, I just want to be the voice for those that can't. And, you know, they can't speak because of the conditioning. I'm fine. I'm healed. I'm happy to share. But make no mistake, I don't need the attention. I want the attention for CSA survivors because we are so marginalised. I get told, do you really have to speak about this, Gloria? Really? Are you not a, are you not able to move on with you like yeah, hell yeah, I'm happier than most people I know, but what if it's your child or grandchild are saved by speaking out? Mm-hmm. Are you then gonna say thank you? Or are you then gonna appreciate that? We're out there trying to do this, so the point is guys out there and beautiful, beautiful survivors. You don't have to find the courage to speak the words if that's too hard. Even writing it out or drawing or painting or sculpting or find a way to release it out of you.
1: Mm -hmm. Find a way to process it. Yeah. Because once you process what has happened and you make meaning of it and you understand what has happened and how it made you who you were, I don't know. It's such a gift. Like it it really is. I I feel things that I know others don't. And I can tap into parts of, of who I am in a way that's very artistic and creative. And, you know, I have courage in a way that I don't see a lot of others around me having because of what I've been through and what I've experienced. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. Like I wouldn't trade the way I've survived certain situations in my past for the things that I'm able to do now. So I think that if people can channel that energy into something greater, and like you said, it doesn't have to be what you're doing, Gloria. It can be a painting. It can be a stand-up show where they make humor out of certain stories, which is something I've been wanting to get into, is stand-up. And there's just so many things, so many ways that you can you can channel this um, experience into something that can be a catalyst for growth and to help heal others. And I think that that's exactly what you're doing. So let's let's talk a little bit about your new book and about some of the things that the new book is going to be about.
0: So, yeah, look, thank you for that. And, um, uh, you know, I'm just so grateful people like you are prepared to host me um, because, you know, as you know, it's a subject mainstream media don't really they want won't touch. Oh, I know. Someone like me is, you know, shut up. I can't get on a TED talk to save my life. Uh, in New Zealand, which is so sad because
1: really sad, it, it's going to change, Gloria. It's going to this change. could
0: help people, you know.
1: Yeah, and have-
0: okay. So, look, the book is called "Flight Path to Healing." It's a guide for CSA child sexual abuse survivors, and it is not a. Um, it's not. It's not written from a psychological expert or. From providing the best treatment modalities or this is what you should do. It's simply written from it, from one survivor to another. Um, I list what I, um, what worked for me. I, um, explain how I used different modalities to help me heal. And I have exercises at the end of each section for people to try and some mantras to use. And then I go into things that are commonly known to survivors like triggers, flashbacks, hypervigilance, dissociation, all of those words we, we know that we don't even need to explain. Um, and I do a little bit of writing about each of them and how they appear and what we can do to help manage. And then I look at um, some ways that might, might help. So, for instance, it might be finding balance in your life. Uh, it might be finding hope by going within um, etc and then I look at healing modalities things like could be therapy could be yoga could be walking could be you know and I list a few of those and then you end up with a little passport because your flight path has been uh, created through what you chose worked for you
1: I love it
0: absolutely love it so yeah I'd love to share it with you when it's um, Oh yeah, and it's published. Yeah. I will
1: definitely order the book. My friend uh, Heidi Lanzini says, "Gloria, you have such a beautiful, soothing voice. I'm sure your story will help so many people. Thank you for sharing." Oh,
0: thanks, Heidi. Please, <laughs> yeah. And look, at the end of the day, we're all one. What what happens to one of us has an impact. And um, my wish is that people on LinkedIn would would stop seeing LinkedIn as is just workplace because to me workplace is made up of people. People are made up of their experiences. And Teresa, as you so mm-hmm. rightly said, our experiences um draw us into how we behave, how we think, feel and act and what you're seeing as trauma. Yeah. And absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I can tell you, you know, just being around people in the workplace as much as I've been around as a career woman um, you, you clearly see the people that have the unresolved trauma, including myself. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've yeah. certainly had that over the years and sure. you see the people who have either not had as much of it or who have found a way to work through it and don't have those same issues. And I think that's what kept me strong throughout my journey was I would see the people who really had supportive social networks and good like you said, when you went over to your friends' houses and you saw that their fathers weren't like your father, I- I've seen the same thing in workplaces and in marriages. I would see marriages that were healthy and didn't have the same things that I was doing with men, and I was like, "Wow! Like you don't have a ma- you have the strong alpha confident male that doesn't act like this." Whoa, how do I get one of those? <laughs> you know, like, don't <laughs> they exist? And they're not yeah. animals and they're not jerks? How does that happen? You know? <laughs> so I, you know, I see that and go, oh, shit, that's what I want. And, and so yeah. you have to be exposed to those things. And in the workplace is one of those places. But as you said, LinkedIn, Facebook, this also goes live on YouTube. And I really Oops. do hope, yeah, so that people take the opportunity and i forgot to say please uh if you're watching this on youtube please subscribe and hit the bell button to get further notifications i always forget to say that but um you know i i i think that these are just such important conversations and they really get at the root of of what is is really going on with people and and ways in which we can help others so Um, I want to give you the last word to at least uh, say anything that I haven't already covered or haven't already asked you about as we're winding down at the end of this conversation.
0: Sure. Thank you. Um, So I think for those that are interested, as Teresa says, um, the book on Angel's Wings, My Flight from Trauma to Grace, it is a difficult read, but it's also one of hope. It
1: is. (laughs) It is. it is there's many times and I'll hold the book up again yeah. there's many times in the book where she she talks about how in her mind she found that place that she could go to or the coping mechanisms i mean yeah. gosh the, the mind is so resilient so and the powerful. ways in which you found ways to basically survive and live in the day to day go see your friends or find ways to sadly make your father happy or find ways to just sort of navigate. And I've done the same thing with toxic people in workplaces and how I navigate around the people who are, who are disrespectful or cruel. You have to learn how to do that in life. And so those are survival skills and, and, and you learn those at a very young age, how to survive in a very, very, very toxic environment.
0: Well, and I'm very grateful to have come through. And I think that's, that's something something for the audience too. The power lies within, and I think always trust your instinct because you definitely have the answer within. And it's it's so powerful, and we often dismiss that. So you, you're never alone. There's people like me, there's Teresa out there. Please feel free, if you are a survivor, to go to Handing the Shame Back. It's my YouTube channel where I interview other survivors and uh, provide resource. So never alone. And uh, lots and lots of, of love to everybody, specifically our wonderful survivors. I know what you go through. So thank you. Thanks, Teresa. Awesome.
1: awesome. All right, Gloria, thank you so much. Um, I will meet you back a sage just to say goodbye yeah. in just a moment. But um, I want to thank all of you for watching today. Uh, this has been a a very tough conversation to have, but at the same time, I do feel it's a very important conversation to have. So appreciate for all of you who have stuck with us through the end of this call. Uh, next week, I will have a couple, uh, two guests. Uh, I have two in one week, so that's always nice. And uh, you'll see the podcast promos in the next couple days. Don't want to say too much about it yet as I'm still gathering some of the information, but thank you all for watching Uh, I always appreciate my audience and the ones who support this show and and, I've been going strong now for over a year and plan to keep on going. So thank you all. Have a wonderful evening and enjoy the rest of your night. Bye-bye now.